Welcome to Pullback, the podcast that digs into the ethics behind everyday choices. I'm Kristen Pugh, and I'm here with Kyla Hewson. Hello. Pullback is a proud member of the Harbinger Media Network of Podcasts. Today, we are very happy to be joined by Aaron Polloway, who is the Partnerships and Programming Lead at Fashion Revolution. Hi, Aaron. How's it going? Good. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. And Aaron, you're also um, you also the founder and editor of uh, My Green Closet, right? It's a YouTube channel, blog, and community for slow fashion. Could you explain a little bit more about what that is? Yeah. So a lot of my work, fortunately, now my full-time work revolves around a lot of slow fashion advocacy and encouraging um, more conscious consumption, getting people to think more about their clothing purchases and being able to utilize my personal fashion design background and also combine that with my like passions and activism work. Nice. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm real. I'm realizing now that like I'm sitting in our chat wearing like a Nintendo t-shirt. <laughs> it's like the least fashionable thing I own. <laughs> oh my gosh, not at all. So many people initially when I'm like, oh yeah, I'm interested in fashion design and slow fashion. They're like, are you judging what I'm wearing? <laughs> not at all. Never. <laughs> I mean, you don't have to. I'm doing it for you. I, normally I would like put on for a video call. I'd normally like put on something a little nicer, but I came straight from another job where I like have to sweat. So <laughs> I like, did not have time to change into a better top. And then pajama bottoms. I'm sure, I don't know, Kristen, if I've ever told you this, but I, I'm sure you could assume I always am wearing pajama bottoms, but right now I'm wearing work pants. Well, so. oftentimes, Kylo, when it's just you and me recording, you're in full pajamas. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nice. but when we have a guest, I put on a shirt. That's true. Erin, <laughs> um, I wanted to sort of just to get us started, uh, if you could maybe talk a little bit about your own journey in ethical fashion, how you got interested in it and uh, how it led you to fashion revolution. My interest in like ethical and the sustainability aspect of fashion came actually when I was pursuing a degree in fashion design. So I was studying, yeah, just about the industry, uh, working on my bachelor's. And the more you kind of unpack the industry, the more ethical issues come up and sustainability issues. And it really felt there was this big disconnect where I was like, I love this so much, like the creativity of this industry and so much about fashion, but I also feel like I can't work in an industry that can be so horrible and is so damaging and exploitative. And so it was really difficult to try to kind of reconcile that. So that was, yeah, where my initial, I guess, interest peaked. And then from there, I kept researching and learning more and then ended up working in the industry and then started my own like YouTube channel and blog just as a platform to be able to share some of these things I was interested in. And it really grew from there. And then, of course, with Fashion Revolution happening, I got involved with them when I moved back to Canada. In the last year, we've really been growing Fashion Revolution Canada and trying to increase our presence in Canada. So yeah, it just kind of has been going from there. Can you maybe tell our, our listeners a little bit about what Fashion Revolution is and how it got started? Yeah. So Fashion Revolution started in the wake of the tragic Rana Plaza factory collapse. Um, I think it's like one of the biggest fashion industry uh, incidents that most people are aware of that happened, oh, I believe, in 2013. And from there, it was formed to essentially advocate for better industry practices, more transparency, just a more just and equitable fashion industry. And they have various campaigns that go on um, to try to do that, uh, lots of community involvement, and it's become the world's largest fashion activism movement, which is very cool. How did you get involved with Fashion Revolution? Um, how did that fit into your journey? 
Um, it was something where I felt like with my own personal work, it was gearing a lot more to like the consumer side of things, you know, talking to kind of everyday people about what they buy and thinking more about what they buy. And I, I think that that's extremely important, but I also wanted to get involved in a little bit of a higher capacity, I guess, in terms of being more of a direct connection to the industry, to brands. Um, so I volunteered with Fashion Revolution Canada to try to do that in the Canadian industry. That's amazing. And is that what you're doing as partnerships and programming lead now? Yeah. So one of my big roles is just developing relationships um, with producers, with brands, um, with people that are already involved in the industry. Also like home sewers, trying to get people involved in campaigns, trying to figure out different ways that we can spread awareness and also just kind of grow our presence, get people more you know, knowledgeable about what fashion revolution is, what we're trying to do, and hopefully keep keep growing. <laughs> Is Fashion Revolution, you said it was growing uh, in Canada. I'm wondering, like, what are some of the places in Canada where there is a presence for Fashion Revolution right now? Yeah, so Toronto, definitely. So we have, um, like, regional coordinators throughout the country. Basically, Toronto has a really great presence. Um, Calgary is doing a lot of exciting things. Vancouver also. Um, and there's even like a lot of, you know, smaller cities as well have fashion revolution teams and are hosting events and doing some really fun stuff. So depending where you are, there's probably something going on close by or there's also like digital events and there's things happening all across Canada. What kind of events do you guys do? Oh, we do. Okay. Well, <laughs> not necessarily <laughs> us, like personally, the national team, but the regional teams do so many exciting things. They host everything from like fashion swaps. They work with like cinemas to do documentary hostings. There's like book clubs. There are different kind of like outreach events, like letter writing campaigns to politicians, different. Um, there's like some really fun kind of more guerrilla marketing style types of things, lots of community events. And really, that's one thing that I love about Fashion Revolution is it's very open-ended in the sense of like, we have this overarching goal, but, you know, the community teams, the regional teams, individual people, students can just come up with their own concepts, host their own events and run with it, which is really exciting. And so we kind of want to act as a as an organization to support a lot of these grassroots efforts that are already happening and um, just help them keep keep going with those. We really wanted to talk to you um, because it's Fashion Revolution Week, uh, right, as this uh, episode will be released. And so it's a really, really good time if somebody's thinking about getting involved with Fashion Revolution. But maybe just to, to sort of ground people a little bit more in um, why it's so important to get involved with things like this. Could you tell us a little bit about sort of the environmental and human rights impact of the fashion industry? Um, like, why is it something someone should care about? Yeah, I mean, it, that's a big question because <laughs> it's very complicated and it goes quite deep into, into different areas. Because I think one thing that we don't necessarily think about or when we think about fashion is how many industries are part of the fashion industry and how many different stages our clothing goes through. And at every single one of those stages, there are ethical concerns, there are environmental concerns. So going from just like the agriculture of our cotton and how that's grown or potentially our synthetic fibers and where those are coming, like our petroleum-based synthetics, um, the process to turn those into fabrics, um, cutting and sewing, that whole, that I think 
like there's there's the whole dyeing fabric component and then the clothing moves into the cut sew um which is that's the area most people are most aware of that's where the issues with like sweatshops come in and we see you know people sewing under very unsafe or um sewing for very little pay that's the area most people know about and then from there we've got you know our distribution networks we've got retailers there's packaging and like without like you know we could talk about this for a really long time but at every stage of this you know brands are trying to cut costs and oftentimes with cutting costs that means that those costs then come at the expense of the environment whether that's like pollution runoff like not properly um, looking after waste trying to increase volumes without looking at what the larger scale of that is. Um, And then all the ethical considerations around workers, safety, wages, just general like working conditions. And I think a lot of people will have heard the term fast fashion before, but could you maybe uh, just explain what it is for people? Sure. Yeah. So fast fashion is essentially like I like to think about it where at its core, fast fashion is really about selling the largest volume of clothing. So it really is about quantity. And what makes the industry so unsustainable is not necessarily like, you know, you can, like I said, you can kind of break it down into these supply chain issues, but the way that fast fashion is profitable is to sell extremely high volumes of clothing. And so when we're talking about that, we're talking about a ton of resources. We're talking about a lot of labor that goes into all all of this clothing production. And then at the end, there's a ton of waste because oftentimes the clothing isn't very high quality. It's not something that people want to kind of keep and take care of and repair. So we've got a huge textile waste issue as well. And so I I think of like the whole fast fashion mindset is really around this idea of consuming a lot of clothing and viewing clothing as something that is disposable and can be really quickly turned over and replaced in our closets. You know, we can toss it out and go get another outfit. And that kind of mentality is really stemming from the fast fashion business model. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, polyester, I guess, is sort of at the center of that. You're talking about fossil fuels in the fashion industry. (laughs) There's so many synthetic fibers. Synthetic fibers are a huge part of our um, wardrobes. And while they can have some benefits in some situations, the vast majority of the time, they're just your, you know, everyday clothes and they're essentially plastic. Like we're just wearing plastic. It's not getting properly recycled. It just becomes waste and landfill. And to dial that down even to a lower level, we're wearing oil. Everybody is wearing oil. (laughs) So if somebody is, so if you're upset with the oil industry, look at the clothes on your back. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. We don't often think about, you know, clothing as being like a plastic and a petroleum product because we see it as a soft fabric and we see it as something maybe more natural or more similar to a cotton. But yeah, exactly. It's it's all petroleum-based synthetics. For sure. Yeah. Fashion revolution is, I suppose, aptly named in terms of calling for a a revolution in the fashion industry. Um, So what what does a, a revolution in the fashion industry mean to you? So I, I think like we honestly need a very core shift in the way clothing production happens. Um, you know, everything has been speeding up faster and faster. We've gone from essentially, you know, designers putting out two collections, like a spring, summer, fall, winter collection to four collections to now, you know, a lot of the fast fashion retailers were putting out weekly collections. And then you have now these like ultra fast fashion retailers, which are essentially putting out 
tons of new styles every day. And like I said earlier, right, so many of the issues throughout the supply chain have to do with just such a high volume of production. So essentially, I think that really needs to slow down and we have to have more regulations in place to kind of control some of these things around wages, around, you know, pollution. So it's really about kind of reimagining the industry in many ways. And that's obviously sounds like a very huge project, but I think, and from my own experience, we are slowly kind of chipping away at some of those areas and trying to get changes happen, but also to get people to kind of think about like, is is this really the way that we want to be consuming clothing? Like, are we all okay with this? And then hopefully those sort of ideas will will continue out through the industry. And I mean, yeah, it's a big project, but it, it really is about doing kind of a 180 shift in many aspects of the fashion industry. Yeah, I'm interested. You had mentioned um, like regulation as part of the solution. Um, and, you know, maybe maybe there isn't like a clear answer to this, but is there something that government should be doing right now uh, to address the problems of fast fashion? Yeah, I mean, I think so. And um, this would be more like we have a policy team in Canada as well, which is more their expertise uh, working on that kind of things. But yeah, like the government could definitely put in better regulations. There have been some really exciting things happen in the States. There's been the the, the New York Sustainable Fashion Bill. I'm not sure exactly the the wording they use, but that was something that recently happened. And there have been countries as well that have put in restrictions around like modern slavery, um, having companies ensure that there's no, you know, modern slavery throughout their supply chains, uh, wages. One very simple thing, and this is actually a big focus of Fashion Revolution Week this year, is the idea of living wage and how in Canada, if we're just looking at the Canadian fashion industry, many parts of Canada, minimum wage is not a living wage. And this extends obviously beyond just the fashion industry, but one really great thing that the government could do is implement a living wage for everybody so that we can ensure that anybody, garment workers or any person, is actually making a living wage for where for where they live. I love that. That's great. All right, let's, uh, let's transition then to the consumer. We've talked about some policy solutions, um, but what can sort of an ordinary consumer do to contribute? Yeah, so I would definitely, because it's Fashion Revolution Week, would encourage people to get involved in their local communities, attend events. Um, one of the best things I think you can do is start off just by educating yourself more about where your clothing comes from. Most of us are extremely disconnected and have no idea how our clothing is made, um, what it's made from, what these different materials even mean in terms of like where they came from. Is it natural? Is it synthetic, right? And then from there, I think the best thing that we can all do is just to kind of pause before purchasing anything and ask yourself some questions. Ask yourself, you know, do I know anything about where this came from? And do I actually need this? I think that's one of the most powerful questions we can ask ourselves is, do I need this? Do I already have something similar? Is this actually something that I'm going to wear a long time? Because again, talking about this disposable nature of clothing, we just keeping your clothes and wearing them a lot is fighting the sort of fast fashion mentality and the fast fashion mindset. So just trying to be a little bit more conscious with your purchases and 
and really thinking about things that you're going to keep and have and kind of where, and not even necessarily like where your money is going, because obviously supporting more sustainable and ethical brands is part of it. But I don't think that that's like a key part of having a more sustainable wardrobe. I think just essentially trying to buy pieces that you love and you know that you're going to wear and keep is huge. For sure. And how about... um somebody that's trying to sift through things like greenwash. Do you have any tips for people in terms of that? Yes. And it's challenging and it's going to get harder and harder. Cool. I see it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's so frustrating because especially now that more people are aware of sustainability issues and, you know, ethical fashion issues, more and more brands are coming out here and telling you that they have sustainable products and just recycle them and you can get something new and you know these circular economy buzzwords so there's a lot to sift through and you know i would say right off the bat like don't go in there expecting that you're going to figure everything out right away like brands trick me all the time and <laughs> i like daily research <laughs> different brands out there um but i think one of the best or like one of the key things that i personally always look for is whether a brand is showing evidence that they are kind of walking the walk. So, you know, a key part of greenwashing, of course, is a lot of talk and everybody telling you how great their products are. But I really want to see brands and companies who have specific examples of things that they are doing that are somehow better or, um, yeah, just, just different initiatives and actually concrete examples that they're giving versus a lot of this fluffy language about how important the environment is and that kind of stuff. For sure. Yes. Okay. So that they've shown they've done the effort in terms of, you know, getting certified something for sustainability or, you know, that they're paying their workers a living wage and they can show you evidence of that, that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, and certifications, again, it's kind of another tricky thing. Certifications are great, but they are very expensive oftentimes. So I don't think necessarily because a brand isn't certified, that means that they're not doing something and they have some good sustainability efforts. Unless they're a big company like H&M. It's like, <laughs> yeah, you guys can yeah. afford the, the certifications. <laughs> Definitely. And yeah, for sure in those situations, I would want third-party certifications. But yeah, if it's like some, you know, small brand, small Canadian brand that's manufacturing in their at-home studio, they probably aren't going to be able to afford those kinds of things. But then that's where, and this is like a really key part of fashion revolution is transparency. Like we just want to see more transparency, um, look for information about where they manufacture, what they manufacture, contact them and see if they will provide more information and actually answer your questions. That to me is also something really key is depending on how brands will reply to my questions, I feel like gives you a lot of insight because a lot of times the brands that are doing really great things and are paying their workers well, they're really proud of it and they want to tell you about it. They want to say, yeah, you know, this is what we're doing. This is what we're working on. We've got all these initiatives going on. So they're excited to share that which I always see as like a good sign versus when brands are kind of, you know, using weird language or sort of going around (laughs) (laughs) about actually examples of what they're doing. So yeah, just trying to find those concrete examples as best as you can, but it's a, it's, (laughs) it's challenging for sure. I wonder if we can um, talk a little bit more about sort of what working conditions look like in a garment factory. Um, Yeah. So 
again, you're going to see a huge range. And I want to kind of be really clear that this is not like a country specific thing. Like there are excellent factories and there are horrible factories all over the world. Like just recently um, in the UK, I believe it was with Boohoo, a bunch of information came out about how horrible their factory was. And we would typically more so assume that something that's made in the UK is a bit more of an ethical working condition. So this is not at all a country specific thing. But if we're looking at some of the the more like ethical issues, not great factories, these oftentimes are like subcontract, sub subcontracted out. And that becomes a big issue where there isn't that traceability and that transparency around there. And then we're talking about uh, factories that basically have no sort of code of conduct. Overtime is a big issue in the fashion industry because there are such huge volumes of clothing that have often very, very tight deadlines. So workers will have to work extremely long hours, often with no overtime pay, sometimes like, you know, seven days a week, especially during high production volume times. And then wages, of course, are an ongoing issue. And something that happens in the factories or in the fashion industry in particular is what's called piecework. So instead of being paid like an hourly wage, you are paid by the amount of product that you can produce. And this can like they advertise it as being a good thing where if you're, you know, an extremely efficient worker, you can make more money. But oftentimes there's just such a high volume that it is extremely difficult for people to produce the amount of volume to actually make a living wage or any kind of decent wage. I wonder if you could just explain, sorry, the like subcontracting and how that works a little bit more. Yeah. So typically what will happen is a, a specific factory will be contracted out for one particular part of the clothing production. And then again, because we're talking about such high volumes, they can't necessarily produce all of that clothing. So they will then hire out another factory and they might actually hire out another factory. So even though a brand has come to one specific factory to work with, they might be working with you know five or six different factories on that. And there just isn't that kind of traceability there. So the the brand might not even know where their clothes are actually being made. But oftentimes I find it's more so that the brand doesn't want to know where their, where their clothes are actually being made. So it's this kind of just industry secret, like sort of, you know, nobody's asking about it and everybody's just kind of pretending that's okay. And again, like this goes back to high volumes, there's also a very difficult like production cycle. And it's it's changing a bit now with just how much there's sort of this like ultra fast fashion movement, but typically um, fashion cycles kind of ebb and flow. So you have high production for like a spring launch, for example. And so what will happen is factories will have a ton to produce at one time of the year and then much less later on. And so they can't necessarily hire on it a bunch of extra employees for that time. So at that time, they might subcontract out as well. And it also makes it really difficult for workers then too, because they might only be hired for like high production times and then might not have a job otherwise. It's it's really messy. <laughs> yeah. And it gets even more complicated when you think like, okay, well, a solution might be a, a brand asking, oh, how much how much can you take? And we won't order more than that. But the there's no guarantee that that warehouse isn't working with other brands. It's kind of like overselling flights, like seats on a flight, you know, like, oh, we're going to say <laughs> yes to all of these people. So it's not even necessarily like something that is easy for the brands to solve unless they're like, oh, only work with us. But 
again, if there's no oversight, there's no guarantee that that's actually happening. Totally. And one, and and that also brings up kind of another aspect is like one, of course, great thing would be if, you know, there's what's what are called vertically integrated factories. So they're like owned by the brand and they manage their own and they can obviously know more about code of conduct and, and what's actually happening in their factories. But oftentimes, because these contracts are so important, um, like factories being able to get these contracts that they will agree to things that they don't have the production capacity to actually put out. Because essentially, um, a brand will come to them and say, can you produce this for this amount of money? And if they say no, then they go, okay, I'll go somewhere else, right? So they oftentimes have to agree to either lower prices, like producing something that they can't can't properly pay people to produce just because they know that the brand will go, go somewhere else. And then that also results in subcontracting as well, because the factories oftentimes have to say yes, otherwise they will lose some of these really big things that are key to keeping their business going. Yeah, it sounds like those sort of power dynamics are a really big part of the problem. How how can transparency tackle these kinds of issues? Yeah, so that's like kind of, I guess, the the starting point that we need in the industry is just having more knowledge about brands, supply chains, and where products are actually coming from and who's making them. And there is like headway being made in this, but this should be like such a baseline, like foundational thing that it's unfortunate that it's something that we're still really struggling to see. But just having that transparency and traceability, I think is huge because right now, like so often it always gets me where, you know, some sort of expose will come out and it'll say, oh, so-and-so's clothes are being made in this sweatshop under these conditions. And the brands are always like, we had no idea. <laughs> and like, that shouldn't be happening. Like you should know where your clothes are being made and you should be accountable for that. Right. Like this idea that you can just be like, oh, we didn't know. Sorry. is just so frustrating to me. So I think having clear supply chain and transparency as a very baseline would be extremely important. But of course, a lot of people in the industry say we can't do that because we want to keep our production secret. We don't want people stealing our suppliers. We don't want people stealing our factories. So it it's like really challenging to actually get that very baseline transparency. Are there any companies that have been making progress um, or ones that are particularly not making progress that you want to call out? <laughs> I mean, in terms of brands, like one brand that I just think is horrible is Shein. Like they, I think now are one of the world's top producing clothing manufacturers and they produce an insane volume of clothing with absolutely no, like we have no idea what's going on in their supply chain and around <laughs> and what's happening there. So like, I would definitely say they're an example of a brand that's just really not moving anything forward. And if anything, taking us 10 steps backwards, but there are a lot of like really great, I would say smaller brands mostly, especially if we're looking at Canadian brands that are doing really awesome things and are manufacturing in Canada and or anywhere and are sharing more information about their standards, their wages. I love it when brands post their code of conduct on their website. Like that's an easy thing you can do. And even though, you know, as a consumer, we can't necessarily go in and say like, oh, does your factory for sure meet all this? But just having that available puts up this idea that they are accountable for it, right? It's like they've made this public. Here's their information. I just feel like there's a lot better accountability there. So yeah, I, I think there are a lot of brands that are doing really great things, but unfortunately they are tend to be the more smaller ones typically. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> 
All right. Um, what about, so we've talked about fast fashion. What about slow fashion? Can you tell us what that is? Yeah. So slow fashion is essentially the opposite where we're looking at clothing that is made with time, with care, with a focus on quality and longevity. So something that I really like is the idea of seasonless fashion, right? So we don't have to have clothing where every spring there's new styles, new trends that everybody has to go buy. The idea of just producing clothing that's actually wearable. Oftentimes, many slow fashion brands have a more circular approach. So they'll take back clothing, they'll repair clothing, they'll do alterations, they'll resell it as like secondhand pieces. Taking the supply chain into account, right? Sourcing better quality materials, sourcing more sustainably produced materials, um, focusing on workers. So this is another thing, right? If you're producing a lower volume of clothing, then the workers actually have time to work on it to not be like, as stressed out in terms of producing as much as they possibly can, doing a better job around sewing quality. Um, it's just really, like I said, kind of re it, it's the essence of sort of reimagining the fashion industry of producing clothing that is built to last, that we care about, um, that we keep. Like, it's just so crazy to me that we, uh, you know, buy clothing to wear once or twice and then get rid of it, right? Like, that's really needs to, to shift. And I think you know, a lot of the slow fashion philosophy is really about that kind of timeless longevity quality. For sure. Yeah. And I mean, I know next to nothing about clothing, so I'm hoping you can help me out with this. Um, how how would somebody spot a well-constructed garment? Like what are some things that you would look for? Um, definitely. So fabric quality. So just like inspecting the, <laughs> the fabric, <laughs> feeling it, if it feels good, if it seems like it's loose and all the kind of threads and just seem off and sort of loose. I feel like you can kind of get a sense just by feeling it. And sewing quality, definitely. Uh, one thing that I think is a really easy tell for a lot of people, if you're not very familiar with sewing construction, is looking at the width of the stitches. So oftentimes, if you're trying to sew clothing really quickly, they use really wide stitches because it can go through the sewing machine faster. So it's not like guaranteed that if it has wide stitches, it's poor quality, but that often is a sign. So like really, really far apart stitches versus like tighter stitches um, is one that I see a lot with like fast fashion versus better stuff and like nicer finishing on the inside. <laughs> um, no loose threads and bits coming out all over the place. And I think too, like the more, if you just like take a bit of time to sort of inspect your clothes and some of your maybe favorite or like better, more longer lasting pieces too, you might pick up a bit more on some of those details. Okay. So spend some time feeling the clothing. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Don't buy it. Like don't wear anything that feels bad. Like that's like, you know, these are, <laughs> these are our clothes, get, get fabric that's comfortable and feels good. <laughs> and I often say like in terms of, you know, longevity and stuff like that, go the, your favorite pieces and the pieces in your wardrobe that are always in your laundry basket. Those can tell you so much about what you actually wear, what you like, what's comfortable, what fabrics you like. Um, and if you kind of pay a bit more attention about to those pieces that you wear all the time and why you like it, you can then look for those qualities and features in other clothing. This is tough because like, I feel like as a person who is now officially in my 30s, it takes time to like really learn what your style is. Um, when I was a kid, I was like, oh, I'll wear lots of plaid. And now I'm like, don't do that. You know, and <laughs> that was also like, I was an Avril Lavigne fan in the early 2000s that you that's it's going to be what it's going to be. <laughs> but 
I, I find it difficult as like a young person, especially where you're, you want to try all of these things. And when fast fashion is constantly giving you different styles, you are left there thinking like, oh my God, there's so much to choose from. How do I know? So I don't know. Do you have any like advice for young people who maybe are still trying to find their style? How can they do that without buying a piece, realizing they hate it like six months later and throwing it away? Yeah. So I, I hear this all the time too, about people who want to invest in better quality clothing, but they're like, I don't want to spend, you know, a hundred dollars, $200 on something that I'm not going to wear and that I don't know that I love. And I think developing your personal style and getting a sense of your personal style is really important and does allow you to make those more, I guess, knowledgeable or more like investment pieces type of Uh, choices, but it is hard to do. And so, yeah, like I I said earlier, one of the best things to do is just pay attention to what you do like, like what kind of cuts you like, what kind of styles, what kind of colors, what you wear all the time. What are those clothes that are always in your rotation? And when you are trying to experiment with new styles and maybe um, new trends and things, I would always keep in mind, like, think to yourself, am I, do I actually see myself wearing this for a long time? Because I know we always see those trends that are sometimes like, oh, that's cute, but I would only wear it for like a few weeks, right? And so keeping in mind like what you would wear it with, how long you would wear it, where you would where you would actually wear it to because I have this theory that we have sort of two parts of us. There's kind of the ideal person that we would love to dress and to to look like, but it's not that practical for our actual lifestyle. So it's about finding that balance between those aesthetic things that you like but the things that you would actually wear day to day, like, especially when I was younger, I don't know how many like beautiful floral dresses I bought. Cause I was like, these are so beautiful. And then you wear them once or twice because it doesn't really work for my lifestyle and my day to day. So trying to find a balance between (laughs) your aesthetic and lifestyle. And then if you want to experiment with things, shop secondhand, like pick up stuff. Um, You know, there's so many great platforms available now. There's apps and, you know, thrift stores. Experiment with some of those styles that you're maybe not sure about secondhand. That way you're not, you know, supporting maybe an unethical company or unethical, unethical practices, but you're still able to kind of have some fun and try some fun pieces that, you know, you maybe wouldn't get a ton of wear from, you don't really want to invest in, but it still lets you kind of play around with your wardrobe. And rental is also an option. I don't think like rental is necessarily the best if you're renting like your whole wardrobe all the time. But if there's maybe a couple fun pieces that you'd love to wear, especially if it's like a special event or something, you know, that can be a great option to sort of dabble in and try out that style. And also, sorry, (laughs) if I'm still going on about this, just had another thought. Something I also encourage people to do is you know, it's fine to go into some of those maybe stores that you wouldn't necessarily want to support and try stuff on and see what you like. And, you know, if it actually fits you and if it is a style and something that you love and you would want to purchase, see if you can find a version of that secondhand or from somewhere else. Yes. Don't feel bad going into the change room and not buying anything. It took me years. (laughs) It took me years to get over that guilt. I still feel a little weird, like going in and trying something on and then not buying it. But I cannot stress this enough. 
the person at the counter does not give a shit. They are making minimum no. wage. They're not thinking about you. <laughs> yeah. They're wondering, they're like, when is my lunch break? When is my shift over? Is that person flirting with me? They don't care that you tried on 50. They might think, oh man, like this person just tried on 15 items and now I've put them away. That sucks. That's what I was thinking. The best thing you can do for those people is to put your stuff back on the hangers. <laughs> Only if you know how to do it though. Only if you know how to True. do it. If you do not know how to put clothes back the way that you found them, don't do it. You're making more work for them. <laughs> Yeah, no, those are all really, um, that's all really great advice. Um, I wonder if you can maybe talk a little bit about what a capsule wardrobe is and where that fits in sort of ethical fashion. Yeah, so that's my personal, I guess, approach to it. I know that capsule wardrobes definitely don't work for everybody, but I find them amazing. And it's essentially viewing your wardrobe as a more curated, but highly versatile set of clothing. And it for sure, you know, I'm not going to lie, it takes time to build that and to figure out those pieces that work really well together. But I've been doing a capsule wardrobe for like eight or nine years now, I think. And I absolutely love it. And because it, it allows you to wear all of the clothes that you love wearing. I feel like I keep repeating that, but it allows you to really hone in on those pieces that you that work for your lifestyle that are your style that give you that versatility where you have tons of tops and bottoms and layers that all sort of mix and match together so you can take a very limited amount of clothing and still have a lot of options and it also lets you kind of invest a bit more in pieces and that was a big reason for why I started a capsule wardrobe in the first place was if you're looking at sustainable and ethical brands, the price point is higher and it can be really difficult to afford that. And so I found by taking my clothing budget, instead of buying, let's say, you know, five or six new pieces, buying one new piece and spending more on that piece instead of like the amount I would spend on five or six pieces allowed me to then start investing in some of those brands that I really wanted to support. Yeah. What advice would you give for somebody who is sort of at the very beginning of trying to put together a capsule wardrobe? It goes down to, again, just like figuring out what you like wearing. <laughs> what are those pieces that you like wearing all the time and building it from there? So if you know that these few tops or these styles of bottoms or whatever are pieces you always gravitate towards, then building your capsule wardrobe, taking those items and seeing how you can get the most out of them. So is that adding like some a few layers in there or just trying to maximize the wearability of those pieces? I love that. It's so tough, though, because the trick really is to be honest with yourself, which I think yes. is the thing that people struggle with the most, which is it goes back to what you were talking about with finding your style, which is the idea that there's your practical self and your ideal self. And so many times we're shopping for our, our ideal self, like you with the floral dresses, right? And I think that the the toughest part for most people for a capsule wardrobe is the honesty. Like, I had a capsule wardrobe for years out of necessity because I was traveling abroad. And I have now just started buying a couple of pieces that don't go with everything. And personally, I, I'm like really excited about it. I bought like uh, a crop top for the first time in my life. And <laughs> which is, it tells you how long I have to wait for a trend to be like, okay, this trend is not going anywhere. I can wear skinny jeans. I can wear a crop top. And it's not just a one-time thing. Like <laughs> this is never going out of fashion. People will always wear crop tops. Kyla's still got low-waisted jeans from last time when they were in style. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I actually had to go buy like some like really high-waisted like loose jeans because those are in style now and they go with the crop tops that I bought, but like that was that took a lot of 
patience because I was like, oh, I think I like this. I think I want to try it. And then I was like, Mm-mm, are you a crop top person? You've never worn a crop top. Would you wear one? And it took me months to finally be like, yeah, I think I would. <laughs> <laughs> That's good though. Cause so many people would just go out and buy it because it's trendy and not actually think about if it's something that they can really see themselves wearing. And I always encourage people to like impulse purchases are one of the worst things that we often do for our wardrobes. So just taking some time between that initial, like, I like this, I'm going to buy it. Right. To, to really think about and be like, is this something I want? Because I don't know how many times I've seen something and thought, oh my God, I love that. And then I write it down on a list. And then a couple of weeks later, I'm like, no, I don't actually want that. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Like me in the crop tops or me in like skinny jeans when in early 2000s, they started getting, I got on the skinny jeans trend like a year too late. And considering it lasted for like 15 years, <laughs> it was like, it was like, damn girl, I was out of style for like a full year and a half. And people were like, your pants are hideous. And I'm like, thank you. <laughs> So like, I get it. But like, be patient, you guys, you don't want to spend money on stuff that you're going to hate, right? Like, if you don't think you're a crop top person, but you might want to become one, think about it for a bit. Yeah. Or take one of your old shirts that you don't buy anymore, cut it and see if it's, you know, something for you. I want to touch on the honesty thing that you mentioned too, because that is so challenging. And one thing that, and I, I don't like kind of didn't come on here to plug my ebook or anything, but I have an ebook, which sort of digs into this idea of really assessing your wardrobe. And one of the activities that I put out there for people is to spend like a good solid two weeks and write down everything you wore every day, your outfit, what you like and didn't like about it, everything from like the color to the fabric to the cut, and really kind of try to be critical of your own wardrobe and your own clothing choices. And then I always have people break their style down into three categories of like, here's my aesthetic, like what I think looks nice. Here's my lifestyle and what I actually, because, you know, you could love maybe like I was saying, like romantic florals and poofy things, but maybe day to day, you know, you're a tradesperson and <laughs> you're going out there and damaging your clothes all the time. And it just doesn't like your aesthetic doesn't necessarily match your lifestyle needs and finding ways that you can then sort of bridge those two. And then also what you just physically like wearing, if it's certain colors or certain fabrics or whatever kind of cuts. And then you you balance those three things versus just going for the style part. Because I find that never works out too well for people. Yeah, it feels like the perfect time to be doing this because we're all sort of emerging from our couch gremlin pandemic phase. So <laughs> people might not even yeah. remember what their aesthetic and lifestyle is. But. Or they might be ready for a new one, you know, <laughs> like maybe we've all, maybe our maybe our bodies have changed shape in the last two years. <laughs> yep, almost everyone, I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah, or maybe your style has totally changed. Like I never was a summer dress person and now I'm like, a summer dress person even in the winter. Who knew? Well, you do live in Vancouver, so there's that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so what's that ebook called and uh, where can people find it in case uh, someone wants to try this? <laughs> um, it's called Quit Fast Fashion. It's available on my website, migraincloset.com. And yeah, it's designed to be like a workbook. So it gives you like sort of challenges and activities to just kind of work through. That's amazing. Uh, I'm also curious if you've got any sort of like slow fashion brands that you want to point to that you think are doing a really great job? Yeah. So I especially want to highlight a few in Canada because it is Fashion Revolution Week. And one thing that 
we're trying to promote, especially is brands that are ethically manufacturing in Canada. So a few that I personally really love are Encircled is one. I think they do a really amazing job of making like good, comfortable um, work from home, but also like lifestyle kind of clothing. And they also kind of focus on a capsule wardrobe concept, which is great and have a very seasonless collection. Cause like I talked about, I think, you know, this idea of seasonless fashion beyond sort of trends is really great. Um, and they manufacture all their clothing in Canada and have really great ethical standards. Well, there's, there's honestly so many, <laughs> um, free label is another great one. And Lair is another Canadian brand. What about Tentry? <laughs> Tentry's great. Yeah, I love Tentry. They're doing some really cool stuff. They've got lots of good transparency. I think they're a great example of a larger brand um, that's doing really great things around their transparency, around their sustainability initiatives. That's something else, like when you talk about touching on greenwashing, is quite often fashion brands will just say, oh, we're sustainable because we use sustainable fabrics. And that is such a small part I think of the overall sustainability picture. So I think brands that are going beyond that are doing things around like carbon neutrality, around um, just improving the overall emissions, packaging, um, whether they've giving back initiatives, like like really taking a much more larger, more holistic approach to how can we incorporate sustainability into all aspects of our company versus like one part and then just promoting that part. So yeah, I think Tentry is doing some great stuff. There's so many small brands like I... I recently like was updating. I have a list on my blog of like over 120 Canadian brands that I think are doing some good stuff in Canada. Whoa. So there's a lot. There's a lot out there. It just takes a little bit more work to kind of to find them. <laughs> okay. So if people want to go shopping, they should go to your list first, sounds like. You pretty much find anything you want, I would assume. <laughs> yeah. There's there's everything. You can find underwear, you can find swimsuits, you can find <laughs> That's the thing, right? Like, I love that there's clothes out there that are trying to be sustainable, that are trying to make things that are ethical. But there are so many clothes in the world that there is, in my opinion, never a reason to ever buy anything new ever again, because we've made so many clothes in the last 15 years that we could clothe the entire planet for the next like 100 years, probably. And so that's where I struggle. And I'm not judging anyone else. I totally get it. It took me years to get to this point. So if you're just starting out on your journey and you want to start like shop with these great brands that are putting out amazing things, I'm not here to judge you. I just am like, I can't anymore. <laughs> I can't do it. I can't. And that's not an excuse to like go buy as much as you can secondhand because that industry isn't perfect either. And it's exactly what you were saying, Erin, is just if you can wear your stuff for longer, that's the number one thing that you can do, right? Yeah. And I think like you touched on a good point too. When we talk about fast fashion being beyond just like a specific business, there is a fast fashion mentality of this whole like disposability, high turnover that can be just shifted to the secondhand industry. And we don't want that either, right? Like if you're consuming secondhand clothing the same way that you were consuming fast fashion, that's not great either, right? So it's it's really um, about that more conscious consumption wherever you're shopping, whether it's secondhand, whether it's even just like a traditional brand, like, you know, thinking more about your purchases. And I think secondhand, like the industry is so, like it's getting better. <laughs> and especially I think the more demand that there is for secondhand, there will be hopefully more secondhand clothing that's better circulated. Because like when you're bringing up issues with secondhand industry, like there are a lot of issues with especially shipping clothing overseas and that kind of thing. So I think like, you know, the more demand there is for secondhand fashion is only going to be a good thing in general. 
But also, like, I personally think we need both. I think we need like a a really strong secondhand industry. And we also need some brands that are role models and that are showing that there is a better way to produce clothing. And it can be done in a way that's conscious of people and conscious of the planet. And I think those brands, if you're able to, you know, financially support them and they fit your style and stuff, it is really great to be able to also help lift those brands up. And that's what I personally try to do with my own wardrobe is I have a lot of secondhand clothes. And then when I've got a bit of budget, I try to, you know, support some of those brands that I think are doing really great things. I am curious, uh, Aaron, because you lived in Germany for a time, uh, the secondhand market there, from what I've heard, is a lot better than it is here. Is that true? In some ways, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say like better. (laughs) Um, In some ways it is. And I feel like they've got a better, more so just like a recycling system in place than we have in Canada. Like textile recycling is basically from what I understand, like almost it's extremely difficult to get anything actually recycled here. Um, And there are some fantastic initiatives and there's one in Edmonton actually called Blenders and they're trying to get a full like textile recycling um, machinery and everything properly set up in Edmonton to be able to do that, which I'm super excited about. And I really hope that they can um, pull that off because they're doing some amazing things around textile recycling and resale. But yeah, I think Canada is just sort of lacking in that there isn't a lot of support for better recycling systems because a lot of secondhand clothing isn't um, sellable. And, you know, we're at this point, like we're just kind of shipping it off or landfilling it and having some more systems in place to actually deal with those, that textile waste would be really, really great. And and countries like, and especially a lot of places in Europe are doing a better job of that overall, I think. Yeah. I mean, I think I remember looking it up for an episode that we did a while ago and it basically seemed like there was one company that would do like quasi recycling where mostly it just became like stuffing for stuff. And then otherwise, if you were donating, it was pretty much going into Value Village and then getting shipped overseas probably. So it's not great. Yeah. Yeah. Such a small percentage of clothing that gets donated even makes it out onto like the sales floor. Like if you're donating stuff to to most clothing um, places, unfortunately. All right. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about fashion revolution. Uh, wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the fashion transparency index and what that is. Yeah. So that was done um, by like fashion revolution HQ, I guess the the main fashion revolution body, they've taken a look at a lot of major brands and sort of ranked them on transparency. And like I said earlier, I want to, I guess, be clear that just because a brand is transparent doesn't necessarily mean that they're, you know, automatically some kind of ethical brand. I think transparency is such a bare minimum baseline to achieve in the industry. And so that's what that essentially is looking at is looking at how transparent brands are a lot of the major brands about their supply chains, which we need to have. And unfortunately we don't have, but that's also like, there's still a long way to go from that as well. (laughs) For sure. Um, And has there been like an, an improvement on transparency since fashion revolution started doing the index? I'm not sure like since they necessarily started doing the index, because I'm not sure exactly how many years that that's been going on. But I would say that there has been for sure an increase in transparency since fashion revolution started. And since they started encouraging people, because a big, like one of the main campaigns that was really kicked off with fashion revolution is the who made my clothes campaign. So people posting 
you know, they'd post like a photo of their tag and say, hey, H&M, hey, Zara, whoever, who made my clothes? And it was a call for more transparency in the industry. And for sure, since like that's been going on, we've definitely seen a lot better transparency and brands coming out with information about their supply chain, about their manufacturers, which is really great to see. And and it does show that, you know, we often think like as consumers, we have no voice or we have no say, but you see like larger movements like this happen and there's a response to that. And there has been so many brands as well, embracing more sustainability initiatives and trying to do better. Like we said, it also comes with more greenwashing, unfortunately, but it is happening. Like the ball does feel like, you know, we're rolling. <laughs> yeah. I feel like greenwashing is really disappointing, but it's also a good sign. It, you know, it means that at least yeah. brands are recognizing that they need to rhetorically do something and then you just need to call them on their bullshit and hopefully eventually they improve. Yeah. And hopefully there are, you know, more regulations and things in place that do prevent some of some of those things, but it does show that there is consumer demand and brands are realizing that this is something people want. Yeah, I'm really glad you you mentioned the Who Made My Clothes campaign. One thing that I noticed on the website is that there's a Who Made My Fabrics campaign. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah. So that again is um so like we've already, you know, been talking a lot about the sewing, like the cut cut make trim kind of sewing aspect of it. So that is essentially uh, encouraging a bit more transparency going deeper into the supply chain. So not just, you know, who actually sewed the clothes, but who made the fabric? Because oftentimes this is something like many brands don't know. Like they just buy their fabric from a distributor and have no idea where that fabric was made, (laughs) who made it, under what conditions. And so it's yeah, it's really about more transparency and encouraging brands to dig deeper into their supply chain, have more knowledge about what's actually going on because, you know, they they're they're still supporting that practice, that fabric mill, and they might not know anything about it at all. For sure, yeah. And I there can be really sketchy practices with like fabric dyeing and things like that. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's important. Yeah, and again, like the deeper we go down into these supply chains oftentimes, the more hidden these kinds of issues are and the less known they are because they're just, again, they're more removed from the final product. And so we just overall need more transparency around it. Fashion Revolution Week will be just starting. It is April 18th to 24th. Can you tell me what Fashion Revolution Week is? Yeah. So Fashion Revolution Week is kind of our annual large event where all kinds of campaigns going on. This is typically where like fashion revolution events happen throughout the year, but fashion revolution week is really kind of the key area where we're trying to get people involved. There's so many different events happening globally across Canada, so many different ways. And some of them are more like activism focused. Some of them are more kind of consumer or like DIY projects, swapping, uh, secondhand resales, looking at circular economy type of things. So there's tons of really fun and cool events happening and also various social media campaigns. So we are this year, especially trying to encourage brands to share more about living wage, like I mentioned, and looking at what living wage means in Canada, what it means around the world, encouraging brands to come out as well and say, you know, we pay a living wage and what that looks like. And also like there's the classic kind of we talked about the Who Made My Clothes campaign, which anybody can get involved in. It's a great way to kind of engage on social media. Hopefully you get a reply from brands, but even if you don't get a reply from brands, it's still really good to have your voice heard and show that you are 
wanting more transparency around these products. So yeah, there's the who made clothes, the what's in my fabric. Um, if you go to the Fashion Revolution website, they've got so many great resources about ways that you can get involved. There's event guides if you want to host your own event, or um, there's a whole event list as well of different things that are happening and tons of ways to take part. Book clubs, documentaries, <laughs> so many things happening. We also have a panel discussion happening as well, which is going to be great. Oh, awesome. What's the panel discussion about? It is an Indigenous fashion design panel, um, and it's happening on the 20th. Excellent. That's exciting. <laughs> is it virtual? Yes. Yeah. So anyone can watch. <laughs> it sounds great. I'll put it in my calendar. I guess people can participate online for some of these events, it sounds like, and then there might be some stuff in person. If they go to the website, they can find it there. Is there any other advice you'd give to people for getting involved with uh, Fashion Revolution Week? Um, I think in general, yeah, definitely attending events is good. And you know, use your voice and your platform however you can. We will have some letter writing campaigns going on as well. Um, if you want to get in touch with your local government representatives about our living wage campaign and any kind of social media ways that you want to get involved and share your thoughts, share, you know, what you're doing, what you're like, one of the best things that all of us can do is just to talk more about these issues. Like I said, you know, we often don't think about where our clothing comes from and what's going on in the industry. So sharing resources, sharing documentaries that maybe were inspiring, any way that you can kind of start the conversation is extremely helpful. Excellent. Well, it sounds like that's a great call to action for people as well. If <laughs> you get involved with that uh, living wage campaign, that's great. Rad. Thank you, Erin, for sharing all of that amazing information and for giving listeners a lot of things they can do this week because... <laughs> Sometimes the topics are just so big and so overwhelming. People often feel like there's nothing that they can do. So I am thrilled that we were able to have you on and you are just giving us so many things that we can do. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's so nice to chat. Yeah, you were an absolute treasure. Uh, I'll link to where people can find you so they can they can follow you. Is that on Twitter that people can find you? Um, on Instagram or YouTube or my website. And thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Pullback Podcast. We are a proud member of the Harbinger Media Network. And you can find our partner shows at harbingermedianetwork.com. And we'll catch you on the next episode. <laughs>